everybody. Praise the Lord. All right. Good to see you all. And uh, now that we got rid of all these guys, let's, let's talk football or play cards. What, what do you want to do? Somebody just said to me, Wesley here just said, as he was taking the offering, I'm sorry for your loss. And I thought, <laughs> did somebody die? Oh, yeah, that's right. But life goes on. New York Giants are done, but they gave us a good ride. So... It was fun while it lasted. <clears throat> Good things will be forthcoming. Anyway, I have a message this morning that is just for you. God brought you here today so that you could hear this message, okay? Because this message is designed to be the process to, to instruct us in as to what is the process that will enhance spiritual growth. Is there something that I can do? You know, do I have to fast for 40 days? Do I have, you know, what, what is, what, what do I need to apply myself to do? You know, we're, we're kind of a little reticent to talk about works in evangelical church. It's almost like a bad word, works. And yet works are, there, there definitely are works that need to be done because James says faith without works is dead right? So unless there's something that accompanies our faith, in other words, there's fruit of it, there's results of it, then it's really just languishing. It's, it's uh, unproductive and unfruitful. So uh, we're going to go over the stuff. We've been on this theme for about three weeks now since the, uh, since the uh, turn of the new year. And uh, so we're going to stay with that. And let's see, the title this morning, which will, again, is what we started looking at last week, is... The importance of building your life, excuse me, on the foundation of the word of God. The importance of building your life on the foundation of the word of God. We've been studying about what the Bible has to say about this, the importance of building our life. You know, with, uh, you know when Jesus is done with the Sermon on the Mount, he's addressing this very theme. He says, whoever hears these words of mine, and does them, I'll tell you what he's like. He's like the guy that built a house, he dug down deep, put it down, he put his foundation down on the bedrock. Floods came, raids came, all the problems came, but the house stood, why? Because it was built on the foundation, right? Solidly placed on the foundation. What's the foundation for a human life? The word of God. That, which is why we are learning uh, Romans chapter uh, 12, verses one and two, and we'll do more and more, because there are, as I've mentioned a number of times in this uh, series so far, there are just like zillions of places to go where this singular truth is being presented. Do this, and good things will follow. Attend to this, and, and good things will result from attending to this one thing. So that's where we were last week, and so I, I want to uh, take a moment with you and that's where we will wind up here this morning in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And uh, that's a tremendously exciting book, important book. Lots to be, lots, uh, lots that we can glean out of that. But here's um, the passage that uh, Jewel had presented early on in the passage that we're memorizing. And if you don't have a memory card, get one, because I'm sure there are more of them around. And then you can just take time throughout your day, throughout your week, when you're driving in your car. There's, there is so much time, actually, that we have to be able to commit portions of God's word to memory that it's, it's, it's kind of a sin that we don't, you know? And I, I, I remember what uh, Kurt had said a couple of weeks ago when we first started talking about this, and he said, you know, he, he, he thought this would be something that would just be way too hard, couldn't do it, had tried it <coughs> and had trouble with it. 
And then a song came on. You know, he was walking through the mall or driving his car or whatever. A song came on. It was like a song from the 1960s or 70s. And he knew every word. And I'll bet you that's true for you. I'll bet you that songs could play that were popular when you were a teenager. And that was a long time ago for some here this morning. When you were a teenager, the Dead Sea was only sick. You know, that was a while ago. So, um... He heard this song and he realized he learned, he, he had memorized the whole song without even trying. And I think that's a, that's a if you, you certainly will want to visit Jen's website. And then those little, those little uh, songs that are built upon scripture and can be learned as, uh, in terms of a song, that can really be a powerful way to be able to put God's word into your head. And if you get God's word into your head and into your mind, it's going to produce good things. It's going to result in good things all by itself, all on its own if we will just take, our, take time to memorize it. So I want you to stand with me, and let's take a few moments and attend to this passage in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and let's see if we can uh, actually begin to memorize it and learn it. Are you ready? All set? All right, here we go. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you, I'm yes, that by testing you may prove, you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good, excellent, and perfect. See, I get, I get them mixed up because I've learned it in other, you know, so that's all right, let's do it again. Here we go, ready? I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, may those words just kind of take root in our heart and in our life, because your word is alive. Your word is powerful. Your word, according to what it says of itself, is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces down to the dividing where soul and spirit divide, down to the very thoughts and intents of the heart. Your word is able to take all of the masks off and reveal the truth about us, but not in a way to discourage or condemn us, but in a, in, in a way in which we would have a clear understanding of where we really are and how merciful you are, have been and continue to be and what kinds of changes need to happen in our life in order to be more fruitful in our walk with you. So I thank you, Lord, for the power of your word, um, the precision of your word, and we just pray, Lord, that as we take time to learn it and think on it and meditate on it, um, we look forward to the good fruit that will be born. Thank you for this time. Thank you for everybody you brought here this morning, getting everybody here safe. Thank you for whatever effort everybody made. I'm sure that everybody here made an effort to do this. Would have been easy to just sleep in an extra couple hours and just kind of chill. But it, it is because we love you and, and, and because you first loved us that we want to be in the place where we can hear what your word has to say, be instructed and admonished and encouraged.
by your living word. So Lord God, be upon us. Holy Spirit, just work all over this room today. You are the only one who really knows what's going on in every life. And so we pray that you'll take these things that we've prepared and just serve them up, apply them where they where they will do the most good, where they will bear the most fruit, where they will bring correction or instruction or reproof or whatever is needed this morning, Lord. We just pray that you will do that by your spirit and that you will receive all the thanks, all the honor, and all the glory. We pray this now in Jesus' name and for his sake and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so there are numerous passages that encourage us to get our mind aligned with the word of God. If you think of something like Isaiah 55, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Um, that's only one. There's Psalm, Psalm 1. Blessed is a man, doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. His delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. What will be the result of that? He will bring forth his fruit in due season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does will prosper. Think of that. Think of that. In other words, God in his word is promising to prosper you. I'm not talking about Rolexes and, you know, pink Cadillacs and, uh, you know, Brooks Brothers suits or whatever. I'm saying that God will take the things that he has called you to do and he will make them, he will bless them in such a way that they will be fruitful and they will be honoring to him and they'll be a source of blessing for people all over the place. It's just simply by our commitment to being faithful to God and being under the influence of his word. When we, when we memorize God's word, it gives the Holy Spirit like stuff to work with so that he can bring that back to our remembrance and then that can be the very thing that gives us discernment and direction and insight and understanding and wisdom. It all comes from that one source, the word of God. The more you got, the the, the stronger you will become as a believer. One person said amen. The the more you get of this, the stronger you will come as a believer. Ah, that's what I like. Music to my ears. So here we go. We're going to get into this uh, topic. Now, last week, uh, I started it on a message, and and it was designed to take us here, and we just got sidetracked. You know, it's kind of like uh, Vince Lombardi's statement about, we didn't lose, we just ran out of time. You know, kind of that's where we were last week. I did not finish the message, I just ran out of time, or I'd still be preaching. But we're going to pick it back up today to get to the stuff that um, we were working on, because it is, I think, of great, it is of great value for us to be encouraged in this one fundamental thing. We started off the year by, with Paul saying, this one thing I do. Forgetting the stuff that's behind, reaching forward, I press on to the high calling of Christ Jesus. And then he says, everybody who is a mature believer should be thinking just like that. Right, pressing on, forget what's behind, it can't help you. Don't be afraid of what's ahead, just continue forward. And, and that's, that's where the path is. So. The person whose life we were um, approaching last week is one of the most important people in the Bible. His life, his testimony, his whole story is really like an object lesson. It is a living illustration of this fundamental truth. and, And the whole story that he's a part of is just one 
truth after another gather together. And as I was pondering um, the story of Joshua and that whole story of the exodus and the deliverance of people out of the land, out of Egypt, and then bringing them out to the wilderness and on into the land of Canaan, that whole story is really like a parable of everything. It's a, it's a living, natural, real world parable of what is supposed to be going on in every believer's life in a spiritual sense. Israel, the connection with Israel was altogether a connection with this world, a land in this world, a king in this world, a country in this world. All of the things, the blessings of of Israel were primarily natural blessings. God said, I'll give you houses that you didn't build. I'll give you trees that you didn't plant. I'll give you wells that you didn't dig. The blessings for the people of Israel, there really isn't a lot of Old Testament emphasis on the whole idea of an afterlife on a heaven or a hell. There's very little teaching in the Old Testament about any of that. It's much more oriented to life in this world and how to be the people of God in this world and what blessings should be forthcoming for the people of God in this world. Israel is kind of a natural, real world illustration, but we are the spiritual reality that was being illustrated by the people of Israel. You follow? Right? And, and we'll, we'll, we'll pull all the pieces together because most of the stuff that I'm going to talk about this morning is probably stuff that pretty much everybody here knows. If you've been a church person any time, if you're, if you're saved, if you've really been in your Bible any, at all, you will probably know most of the things that I'm going to present here this morning. Nothing really um, fresh or different or what have you. It's, it's really a very basic and fundamental story. But it is by adhering to those basics and those fundamentals that real fruit is born in our life. And so it's like everything. Everything goes back to fundamentals. So the person that um, I'm referring to, of course, is Joshua. The text is found in Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. We'll get there. Um, but it's one of the most, he is one of the most important people in the Old Testament. This book, now th- this is something to think about. The book of Joshua could be kind of understood or referred to as a textbook for victory. Okay, think of that. That's really what Joshua's story is all about. It's a textbook for how to, how to lay claim to the blessings and promises of God. That's what he did. Okay, that's what he alone, or just with one other person, that's what he alone did. And then the generation that he was a part of that followed him, they, did, they followed his example, and they came into the blessings of God. And so this, this book of Joshua is full of insight for us, and it's full of, of wisdom because it helps us to know that I'm not saved just to come out of bad stuff. That's important. Okay, most of us were probably involved in some measure of bad stuff before we came to know the Lord, and then we got saved and got convicted by the Holy Spirit and knew that we were living in a wrong way, and so we changed the way that we were living, stopped doing things that were bad, stopped doing things that are self-destructive, hopefully, and, uh, but we're, we're not only saved to stop doing the wrong thing, we are saved to come into the land of God's blessing and promise, and, we, and, and that needs to be a mindset that I'm not just, if, if I'm not seeing it that way, I'm really like one of the people of, of Israel that's wandering around in the wilderness. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not particularly accomplishing anything. I'm just kind of waiting to die and go to be with Jesus. But that is not what being a Christian ought to be. And Joshua's testimony is really kind of like the normal Christian life. 
What's happening to him and what's happening in the context of that book is what the normal Christian life should be. So that's why this book is of, of real great value and benefit to us. Um, <clears throat> so, um, so we want to dig into him, right? We want to dig into his life because his life illustrates this kind of mysterious. I'll, I'll, I'll explain this a little further uh, into the message, but his life illustrates and the whole story there of the Exodus and all that happened on the way through those first five books of Moses and then to, to the book of uh, Deuteronomy. All of it, um, it's, it exists for the purpose of informing and instructing us as how to, what God really has for us. Not just to be like wandering around, meandering and having no idea where I'm going, but to actually get plugged in somewhere and to, and to be able to fruitfully serve God in some particular area of endeavor. That's not for some, that's for everybody. And Joshua's life particularly illustrates that because Joshua devotes himself before he actually gets the, gets the call, before he actually becomes the, 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 the big head honcho, before he actually becomes the, the big spiritual leader, he just commits himself to being a servant. And he just is, wherever Moses is, he's right there. He's serving Moses. He's helping Moses. He's attending on Moses. Actually, you know, throughout the, the entire uh, Pentateuch, when we read of Joshua's name, it you know, almost always says Moses, the servant of, jo- or, or Joshua, the servant of Moses, or Moses is attended. So um, his life is full of spiritual wisdom, spiritual blessings. And he, and he, and he illustrates this mysterious um, confluencing of the fact that Somehow, God's sovereign will gets accomplished through my free will. This is a total mystery, and it's totally weird, and you can't figure it out. But it happens, and that's exactly what happened in in this whole story of the Exodus. It's all individual people, and, and of course, this entire group of the people of Israel, and they are all following whatever they think they should be following and doing what they think they should be doing. But the whole story together blossoms into this living illustration of God's plan and program. It's, it's really amazing, and, and you can't figure this out. In other words, sometimes we wonder, oh, God, what is your sovereign plan for? How can I figure? But it, you don't have to figure it out. You don't even have to think about it. If you do the thing that we're talking about here today, it'll figure you out. It'll just happen to you. God will create the circumstances and create the, um, the opportunities and create the relationships. God himself will bring all those things together. The one thing he can't do is get you to do this. He can't do this for you. He can't memorize his word for you. You can do that, and if you do that, wait and see what he does. That's that's what I'm talking about right there. If you will do that, wait and see what God will do. When When you offer yourself to God for real, Okay, not just playing a little church or you know little you know a little bit of God on Sunday or something. I'm talking about when you when you say to the Lord, Lord, you gave it all for me. I give my complete self to you. I don't have any life anymore. Paul says I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not I. It's Christ who is living through me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the normal Christian attitude. Amen. Sure it is, right? So this, this is, this is a, a fundamental um, aspect to our, to our growth and development in the Lord. So um, 
the story starts, and, I, and, and I, obviously there's no time to pick up all of the stuff in the middle, but the, so, the story begins with God's call of Abram, okay? If you want to kind of place that somewhere in terms of when did that happen? It's around 1000 BC, okay? So right around 1000 BC, this guy named Abram, who lives in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern Iraq today, right? He lives there, and one day he gets a visit from God, and God speaks to him, and he says, Abram, get up. I got something for you, okay? Get away from this place. I got something for you. Let me, uh, let me take you to that passage. It's found in Genesis chapter 12, a very famous passage. It's really like where the whole Old Testament really begins, because God is going to call this one guy, and this one guy is going to produce a tribe of people, and this tribe of people are going to become the Jewish people, and it is through the Jewish people, ultimately, that God is going to fulfill his promise of deliverance, because through the Jewish people, Christ is going to come. Jesus is going to come into this world. So, it, But here's the seed of it all. Here's where it starts. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless, uh, where am I? Okay, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a good word. Huh? That's a good word. God is saying, look, I got something for you to do. I got some place for you to go. And if you get yourself up and get out of here and, and listen to me and follow me and believe me and obey me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your socks off. I am going to bless you in every possible way. And not only will I bless you, I'm going to make you yourself a blessing to this entire world. In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You know something? God is saying something like that to you and I. Really, really. Not on the scale of Abram, although we don't know. Perhaps Jesus won't come back for another years, another thousand years, and you'll start another tribe. And that tribe, and you'll teach it to your son and your grandson and your descendants and your... Uh, heirs or whatever, and this thing that is in you now will continue to go, will become generational, and there will be fruit after fruit after fruit, long after you and I are gone. But God is saying something similar to this to every person, and the way to be able to receive the benefit from the thing is by doing one thing. Believe it. Believe it. See, you're thinking right now, you're going like, hey, Pastor Steve, I'm not just, I'm a little me. I'm nobody, I'm, I'm no spiritual, I'm not Moses, I'm not Joshua, I'm none of these people. Hey, they were, the, it, is, it needs to be understood that they were just regular people too. Just regular people. Abram's one day sitting in his tent in Ur of the Chaldees, minding his own business, raising his flocks or whatever he's doing, and all of a sudden he hears God. Hey, get up, get out of here. Get away from your father's house. Get away from this country. Go to a land that, I show, that I'll show you, and I'll make your name great, and I'll make of you a great nation. I'll, okay, so he, he gives them the, this incredible promise. Did it all immediately happen? Did it happen within two weeks? Did it happen in a month or two? Did it happen after a year? No. It was a slow and steady process, but it happened. We're still reading about it today because those people in Israel, they believe that that land belongs to them. Well, I think maybe next week, I, I was going to do it today, but it just would take too much time. Where God had, God had spoken to um, um, 
Abram about what his real estate was supposed to look like. And it starts at the Mediterranean Sea and goes all the way to the uh, uh, Euphrates River. I mean, it is a massive chunk of land. Now, they've never really possessed the whole thing. They've never had it all. But that was the parcel of land that God bequeathed to the Jewish people. It's still relevant today, isn't it? I mean, is there, there are not many things that are more relevant than the fact that Israel contends that that land belongs to them by God's gifting, right? Uh, it, it is a, it is a absolutely fundamental reality here in our world 3,000 years later, right? You would figure this story would have been long done, long forgotten. Uh-uh. It's still front page news. So anyway, the promises were passed down to his son Isaac, went to his grandson Jacob. Um, but by the time we get to Joshua's generation, and, and in terms of the time frame of this, if Abram is 1,000 BC, by the time we get to, jo- to Moses and Joshua, we're talking 500 years, okay? It, he is 1,500 BC. So 500 years have passed by from the time that God spoke this stuff to Abram to begin with. And, 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 and now we are 500 years in, uh, down the road from there. And that's where we pick up the story of Moses and the Exodus and Joshua and this whole thing. So that's, uh, that's where we're going here <clears throat> this morning. So by the time we get to Joshua's generation, um, it doesn't look like anything that God, like what God has spoken to Abram is like on the table. Like the people themselves, not only are they not a blessing and in them all the families of the earth being blessed and a great nation, they are slaves. They are slaves in Egypt. They, they went down there by invitation, but things got ugly and the whole situation turned. And before you know it, one Pharaoh who didn't know anything about Joseph decided that these people are too numerous. We better do something. We better get them under control. They put them into slavery. And so by the time we get to Joshua's time, the people who have kind of heard of this promise, it's kind of been out there someplace, but they're not quite sure how it fits or where it works. And and besides, there is no living illustration of it in their life. They're slaves. Their life is terrible. And so, and, and of course, they're crying out to God for deliverance. Um, so the story begins to change when God calls Moses. And he says, see, by the burning bush and that whole story, and he tells Moses, you go back in and you tell that Pharaoh, you let my people go. So Moses obeys God, he goes back in, he tells Pharaoh. Uh, but Pharaoh is not ready to jump on board with the plan of God quite yet. He's resistant to the whole thing. He is unwilling to let the people go. And so God needs to apply a little bit of persuasion. And so that's in the book of Exodus, we read about these 10 plagues. 10 plagues get dropped on Pharaoh and dropped on the uh, Egyptians. They have water that turns to blood. They have a plague of frogs. They have a plague of lice. They have a plague of flies. Livestock um, is overtaken by pestilence. They they start getting boils on their body. Locusts, um, total, total abject darkness descends upon the land so that they're not able to see their hand in front of their face. And finally, the, the, uh, the, the plague that finally gets Pharaoh to change his mind is the uh, angel of death that comes along that kills the firstborn uh, of every creature in the land of Egypt except for those who took the blood of a lamb, Passover lamb, painted it on the, the lintels of their doorposts of their house, which of course is where Passover comes from. But it is, um, um, it, finally, Pharaoh says, uncle, okay. 
um, get out of here, so to speak. Happily uh, turns them loose and lets them go. So this is where we begin to get um, into this whole story of Joshua. Pharaoh decides to release the people of Israel. Off they go into the wilderness of Sinai. And ultimately, they are now on their way to the promised land. The promised land that God promised to Abram. Okay, and they are about to be the ones who will inherit. Joshua at this time is probably about 40 years old. We don't know that specifically because it says so in the Bible. But it does say, or Caleb himself says, that he was 40 years old when they came out of the land of Egypt. And so Caleb and Joshua are more or less contemporaries. They're kind of two people who do all this stuff together. And so Joshua is probably about 40 years old when he leaves uh, the promised land. He's one of 12 leaders that has been chosen to spy out this new land which God has promised. And uh, when they return from the when they return from the, the mission and they come back to tell what they, what they saw, um, Joshua and Caleb come back and they are pumped. They are excited. Yes, we can do this. If God got us out of that and God brought us through here and God somehow is making it rain manna every day and God also brought some quails because we had a little bit, we were looking, we were uh, hungry for, in other words, God has been doing all this stuff all around them from the time that this uh, that Moses has gone in to tell, to declare to Pharaoh that he needs to let the people go. All around, God is doing all kinds of wondrous things, all these plagues and all this stuff that's going on. They are seeing the mighty hand of God manifested, right? And then finally, Pharaoh relents. He, they, they get out of um, Egypt, and now they are on their way to the promised land. And I said last week that it really is only supposed to be an 11-day journey. You can walk, that's what the Bible says, you can actually walk from Egypt to that side of the Jordan River where they were uh, to cross and, and come into the, uh, the land of Canaan, you can do it in 11 days, walking. So, but somehow or another, they wind up wandering, meandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay, why is that? Well, it's because they just simply refused to trust that the God who got them out was the God who could bring them in. That's central to what I'm wanting to communicate today. The God who got you out, okay, and brought you into his family and into his blessing, he's got some place to take you. You're not just going nowhere, you're going somewhere. And if you want to know, if, if you want a tip on how to actually begin the process or actually get the process moving along, find a place to serve. Doesn't have to be here, could be anywhere. I'm just saying that serving uh, becoming a servant is the preparatory work for actually being able to fulfill the plan of God. It may not be the, 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 the absolute thing that, that you are completely cut out for. It may not be the ideal thing. It doesn't matter. But when, when Joshua is serving Moses, whatever Moses is doing, Joshua is there. Moses goes up on the mountain. Joshua is sitting at the bottom of the mountain. Moses goes into the tent of meeting. Joshua is waiting outside the tent of meeting. He's just simply attentive to whatever Moses is doing because he wants to make it clear, I'm on board. I'm in this thing for real. So that is, that is a great tip for how to um, discover what God's plan is for your life if you're not quite sure. Start by serving. So Joshua and Caleb come back with this glowing, encouraging, faithful report. We can do it. We can make it. God is with us. But the other 10 come back with this bad attitude, right? They come back and they go, oh, no way. There is no way. We're never going to be able to take this land. Are you kidding? There's giants in this land. We saw them. And there were. There were these sons of Anak, who was a giant, 
who was a brother to Goliath, who was a giant, and Goliath had five more brothers besides. And these Anakim, or these gigantic people, were still living in Canaan at this time, and apparently the the, the, these spies or the, this um, posse of, 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 Is, of Israelite leaders saw these guys somewhere along the line and, uh, and it completely demoralized them. It discouraged them, right? They came back with, there's no way, can't do it. And unfortunately, it spread a contagion of unbelief throughout the camp. So people were already ca- having some real reservations about this whole trip anyway. They got out a couple of days and there wasn't any water and everybody's freaking out. Right? And everybody's yelling at Moses. Poor guy. Here's this guy. He goes through all kinds of stuff. He gets these people out, free from slavery and out of the house of bondage, and they do nothing but hassle him, really, pretty much for 40 years. So out they come. They are supposed to be on their way to the land of promise. But as a result of their unbelief, um, God cannot use them. They cannot be the people that God will bring into this land because they, they lack one thing. And the one thing that they lack is faith. And by that, I'm not talking about intellectual understanding. I'm talking about trust. They are refusing to trust that God who got them this far can continue to get them the rest of the way. This results in God's complete, re- complete rejection of these people. Here's how it's expressed in the book of Hebrews. Notice what God has to say. And this is actually a quote from Psalm, 89, or Psalm 95. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. See, that's what God saw that whole thing as. It wasn't just a matter of like they, they just didn't get it or they couldn't believe. They were in rebellion against, they were not going. And so with that attitude, with that predisposition, God said, I can't use you. There's nothing I can do because they were not per- people um, who were, had grounded their life on the foundation of what God had said and believed it and trusted it and were ready to move out on it. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. Another translation says, I loathed that generation. Pretty strong statement. You don't want to be loathed by God, right? You want to be loved by God. You are loved by God. Therefore, he says, I I, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. And that whole idea of of rest is kind of vital to this whole thing because what, what is behind all of that is this same thought that this is not gonna be your project. This is my project and I will accomplish it through you. I'll make it happen and and. All you have to do is keep your mind attentive to the right things and let those things inform you so that your faith gets built up so that you are a person who is living by faith and not a person who's simply conformed to the world, thinking like the rest of the world does. And how 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 does that happen? By the renewal of my mind, that I may test by experience and prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So, So God's plan to bring these people into the promised land gets put on hold. 40 years. Uh, He lets that entire generation die off in in the wilderness, but during all of this time, Joshua is like, he's busy. 
He's busy serving. He's busy attending to Moses. And, and we read about him. We talked about it last week in, in 17, in, in um, number 17, when that the whole story about the, the, the battle between the people of Israel and Amalek or the Amalekites. And I, I, I was reflecting more on it and thinking, like, that had, be, had to be a wild experience. I mean, here, okay, so uh, Moses appoints Joshua. You, the man, get yourself a, a, a crew together. Go down there. We're, we're going to do business with these uh, Amalekites. And Joshua goes out, and the battle is engaged. And Moses goes up on, on, a, on a, a nearby hill. And while he's up on that hill, I guess he just decides to take the rod of God in his hands, and he just raises his hand. And every time he puts his hands up, it looks like Israel's winning. Things are going good. But then his arms get a little tired. And when he puts his arms down, Israel's losing. Not good. So he puts them back up. But after a while, he's just getting worn out. And so they get Aaron and they get her, a couple of his, uh, his other servants, and they come along and they give him a rock to sit on. He sits on the rock. One guy gets one hand. One guy gets the other hand. Up they go. It's funny, isn't it, to think about that, you know? Like, you know, like... All right, so I need a couple of guys over here. I'm going to keep these hands up. Otherwise, we're going to lose this thing completely. Right? So they come by, and they're holding up his hands, and they win the battle. It's a great victory. And this is the first thing that, uh, that Joshua is known for achieving. But he's now moving more and more and more into a, a leadership position. Now, all of this brings us, um, ultimately, in order to get to Joshua, we've got to go through the book of Deuteronomy, which we won't do it in totality, obviously, but just to, just to pick up on the pieces of what Deuteronomy is. Because the book that we know as the book of Deuteronomy, which is like 34 chapters of Scripture, that the last book in the, in the first five books of uh, Moses or the, the Pentateuch, that last book um, is actually five or six sermons. Five or six of Moses' sermons. Okay, and, and why is Moses doing all this preaching at the end or throughout the book of Deuteronomy? Because he's got people and he's trying to get them ready. He's pumping them up with the word of God. He wants to remind them, look at this is where God brought us from. This is what God said. This is how it's going to work. He's building a people that can actually go into this land of promise because the last crew was incapable because they had no foundation of faith. And because they had no foundation of faith, they didn't know what God had said. They didn't know what, they didn't, uh, they, they didn't appreciate what God had done. And so they were useless to God. God let them all die out. But Moses is on the job. And he is preaching these sermons to, these, um, to this next generation. And they're hearing it. And they, they're looking forward to being the ones who capitalize on the blessings that God had pronounced earlier to Abram, they're going to be, Abram, they're actually the people who are going to inherit the promised land. So he's getting them ready. He's building their faith on the word of God. Um, An an interesting thought, little sidebar, I guess. But when we read of the beginning of Jesus's ministry, okay, Luke chapter four, and Jesus's ministry begins when he goes down to be baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. When he goes up to be baptized, Obviously, it's, it's, it is completely an incongruous situation. John knows it's weird. Uh, Jesus understands that it's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. John says, I, you should be baptizing me. 
This isn't the way it's supposed to work, but this is the way that, that it happens. And then when he's baptized, the Holy Spirit falls, descends upon him as a dove. The voice of the Father is heard. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus comes back up and the first assignment that God has for him is as the Spirit of God spoke to him and told him, get out into the wilderness. We're going fasting for 40 days. Okay, this is the inauguration of the ministry of Jesus. So he goes out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. When he, and now... He's pretty hungry by the time 40 days are up. And he's pretty thirsty. He's pretty, he's pretty famished to not have had anything to be out in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. And along comes the devil. And the devil begins to tempt him. Three different temptations. And every one of the Lord's responses, every one of them to all those temptations comes from the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, 12, I think. 19 and then chapter 8, three different passages of scripture that Jesus quotes to be able to like um, resist this temptation that's being offered to him. But all three of them are from the book of Deuteronomy. So what? Big deal. Why is that important? Because Jesus knows I'm going in. It's my time. And all I got to do is have that word in my mind, in my heart, because this is why I am here. This is what I came for. God is about to begin this work that he has called me to do, that he has brought me into this world to do. It's going to happen right now. And so he's in that same kind of, that same kind of a mental attitude, that same kind of a spiritual attitude that Moses is trying to pump into these people of Israel to get them ready because they're just about ready to go in. Are you ready to go into the blessings that God has for you? Yes. Huh? Because that's the attitude you have to have. A Bill Truen attitude. Yes! I like that, Bill. Right? But so it's, it's important that as a fundamental basic mindset, we realize I'm not a Christian just to kind of kill time, just to tread water. I'm a Christian because God's got something for me to do, and I can find it. I will find it. He will help me to find it because he's with me. And the story of Joshua supports this whole thing. This whole amazing story. And even Jesus himself, when he is being tempted by the devil, he says, man doesn't live by bread alone. That's Deuteronomy chapter six. It says, you shall not tempt the, um, the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter eight. And, and all these things are coming from Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy is the prep book to come out of the land of promise and, or I'm sorry, out of the land of slavery and into the land of promise. You ready to go? Okay. So we are studying the right book then. So let's see what we got. Okay. Now, the, the, the entire story of the Exodus and all that happened, the wilderness wandering, all of it, as I've said, is a living parable of spiritual truths that for us um, are spiritual, but for the children of Israel were natural, were, were real world experiences. And it's true that the, the, the blessings of Israel were far more... Um, something to be inherited in this world as opposed to the blessings that God has called us to because if you recall the, from the book of Ephesians, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, okay? In other words, God has not, you know, when, when people get into this whole um, name it and claim it and the spiritual prosperity kind of stuff or, you know, like all of that is incorrect. 
It's not that God will not prosper, he certainly will, but the prosperity that, that God wants to give to everyone who serves him is an eternal prosperity. It's not a Rolex, okay? It's not a Cadillac or a Mercedes-Benz. Like, and that's not to say if, if you drove here in a Cadillac this morning that there's something wrong with you, no. Great, glad you got a Cadillac, hope you, have, hope you get another one. But it, it's not about that, it can't be reduced to that. Because when it does get reduced to that, and that's what happens in all those prosperity things, it becomes all about money and all about things and all about houses and all this kind of stuff. And all of that is to be discarded. The blessings of God for us are of a different nature, of a different character, of a different quality. Okay, I gotta get back to my stuff here. So every aspect of this is full of, uh, is full of instructions, full of insight. Canaan. Canaan represents the inheritance of God's people. It represents the place of God's blessing. It is, it is inherited um, through rest, not through work. We come into it by resting from our own efforts to try to make it happen and by, and by attending, again, that's why this is so important, by attending to this one thing, getting my mind renewed, God can then take care of all the rest and it, and, and it will happen as a natural result of what he wants to do because he can make it happen. He's, he's God enough to make it happen. So Canaan represents what God has for you. Okay, the land of promise, the land of blessing, the land of God's provision. Moses, of course, represents the law. Okay, there's anything that Moses is typified by, it is the law. He is the guy that goes up, he gets the Ten Commandments, he comes back down, um, he shares the law. He's the mediator of a covenant that is grounded in the law or the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, but that's really what he's all about. And then... Um, but, but what's, what's very interesting, and I, again, I, I'm assuming everybody knows this, but again, we just want to like, paint this picture so that we can see that this is so well-grounded, the concept is so well-grounded in Scripture that it should be obvious. We should see it with no problem. So Moses represents the law, but what's awesome about the, Moses and his story and the story of the generation of the people that he led out of Egypt is none of them got into the land of promise, except for two, right? Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, who were people of faith, right? But everybody else was not a person of faith. There is such a testimony. It's kind of like, let me see. I think I have that. Yeah. Here's what, well, just to get to it. Moses was not, Moses was disqualified from being able to bring the people of God into the land of promise. He was not allowed to go. And the other, gen, that whole generation that he led out never made it in. They all died in the wilderness. What's the spiritual lesson there? The spiritual lesson is the law can never get you to the promised land. Living according, now again, what's important about that is a lot of people think that they are living right before God because they think they're keeping the Ten Commandments. But we're not, none of us ever have, okay? Unless you're the person who, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Boom, you're done right there, right? You shall not covet anything, done, right there. So anyway, um, but we, we tend to think in our natural mind, well, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm probably a person that God loves. Yeah, God loves me. Are you going to heaven? Yeah, I, I hope I think I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I'm a good person. But there is no such thing as a good person because if a person were truly good, they would be able to keep the law just like that. It would be, it would be second nature. 
and all of us have broken God's law. Here's the way Paul phrases it in the New Testament because we get much more insight from, uh, from the, an additional understanding of the word of God. So uh, he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So in other words, the Ten Commandments don't give us a path for salvation. They give us a path to condemnation. They give us a path toward guilt because they show us what we really are. What they did, what the law did not have was a capability to inspire righteousness and so it was weak, and it was not a tool that God, that God could use. So, so um, Moses and that entire generation, all of those people, none of them go in. And it is so, just simply an illustration of what Paul has just said, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be just. Nobody who is living according to the law or some religious precepts or some religious principles and thinks that they're a good person because they're living some religious way, uh, that is never gonna take anybody to the land of promise. That's never gonna get anybody because all those people were disqualified. Where does the time go here? How does this happen? Somebody, I think somebody's down there and they have some kind of a machine on the clock and push it forward, no. Anyway, but the guy that we're focusing on, okay, so we've talked about the land of Canaan. It's, it's a, an illustration of something. Moses is an illustration of the law. The people are the people themselves who, who he leads out of the land of Egypt, they are just lost humanity. They are just typical of lost humanity. They, are, they have a predisposition to not believe. They have a predisposition to doubt. Where do I have that? Yeah, they represent lost people. They are typical. Um, their attitude is typical of the spiritual predisposition of lost humanity. Not only do they say, we can't do it, we'll never do it. What they're saying is we will not do it. But here's what's interesting. When they say we can't do it, they're telling the truth. They can't. So what they say, now we tend to like, we tend to jump on the people of Israel and kind of you know, think that they must have been lame and must have been weak because they're always grumbling about stuff and they're always complaining about stuff. They're just like us, right? We're always, jumping, we're always complaining about stuff. But when they say we can't do it, it is just typical of the fact that that is correct. You and I, by ourselves, cannot do this. I remember when I first was contemplating becoming a Christian, and I'm thinking of all the things that are probably going to have to go. I won't be able to do that anymore, and I won't be able to go there anymore, and I probably won't be able to drink that anymore, and I probably won't be able to have any more of that, and the smoke, and that's done, and you know what I mean? It's, you're thinking of all the things that you can't do, and the, the, the instinctive human reaction is no way. No way, I can't, I can't do that. And I can't, but he can. And I can do it through him, which is why Paul says things like, I can do all things through Christ, who gives me the strength. It's why it says in Ephesians chapter six, therefore, be strong in the Lord, or be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand. That's the, that's the ticket, to be strengthened with his might. Oh, dear Lord. Anyway. And then finally, and I'll have, to, I'll have to quit it here. We'll have to make it Joshua 3 next week. I don't know. Now, maybe I can, maybe I can squeeze it in. Can I get five, five more minutes? Yeah, we're good? Okay. But Joshua himself, I mean, he's even got the right name. You know that Jesus' name was not Jesus. Jesus' name 
is Yeshua. Jesus' name is Joshua. Now, how, how do all these pieces come together like this? That's what I'm saying, all this confluencing of all this stuff. Everybody thinks they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not aware of some divine, supernatural thing that's knitting. They, they don't even see it. Most of them never, never even see, but God is accomplishing all of, his, all of this intricacy and this interworking with all these people and all this stuff, and he's drawing a picture so that we, 3,000 or 2,500 years later, could look at this thing and go like, Look at that. That is amazing. And it's really true. It's like the, the more you know about the word of God, the more you know about the Bible, you will just be more and more and more astonished by it. It's the people in the world who don't know anything about the Bible who um, say, I, I can't believe that. There's a bunch of stories written by people. That's because you don't know anything about it, truthfully. Because if you did know anything about it, that would never come out of your mouth. Because the more you know about this, the more you realize this was not some thing that a bunch of people got in a back room and kind of, all right, let's put it together like this. Not, and no way. This thing has an integrity, it is knit together, it has a central truth. That central truth runs through. Nobody could have put all these different writers and um, situations and, and built it into something that is seamless and flawless and does not contradict itself. Okay, so Joshua himself represents the one who's going to take people into the promised land. That's who he is, okay? And of course, his name is perfect. He is Joshua, our savior is Joshua. Our savior brings us into the land of promise. The old Joshua, he was the one back in that, back in that time, he was the one who was the one charged to bring the people that had come out of the land of Egypt. Now he's about to bring them in. Moses is getting them pumped up. And that's, and that's where we're gonna have to leave it. But let me just, I, I, again, the, I think the strongest point that I'm wanting to deliver to you this morning is that you should live in expectation of the same thing. If you're just wandering, if you're not accomplishing, if you're not serving, if you're not in some way plugged in and doing something, so that your faith is being expressed. Faith without works is useless. Okay, so that your faith is being, and that doesn't mean here, that doesn't have to be here, that you know, wherever God wants to use you, let him use you in whatever capacity um, he is capable of using you. Let, but have that attitude, that's the thing. We have to have the attitude first, and then God can take us and begin to use us. He can make us a little chess piece to move us around, but we have to have that predisposition. God, you got me out, you're with me now, and you'll take me all the way home and all the way through. Let's pray. Lord, you have wonderful things in store for every person in this room. There are no, there are none that you call just simply to warm a pew or, or a chair in our case, but you have called every one of us to a dynamic living reality that we can serve you in this world that we can serve people in this world, that we can glorify and honor your name in this world, and through the th simple little things that we have to offer, you can change people's eternal destiny. You can be a world changer 
It's all just a matter of having that kind of a mindset, that kind of an attitude. And that is the right attitude. The people who didn't have that attitude, God said, I can't use these people. They never get it. They don't know my ways. I can't bring them into my rest. But if you have that kind of an attitude, which you're offering yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of service, and you're not interested in being conformed to this stupid, lost, crazy, mixed up, ridiculous world that we happen to be passing through. You're not, you're not interested in conforming to it, but you want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may discover and prove and test by experience what is good, excellent, perfect will of God. If that's you, I'm, I want you to know God's got great things for you. Amen. God's got great things for you. So Lord, we just pray. Sow that thought into every heart here because Lord, we pray that you just make us a, a, a family of world changers. That all of a sudden, just, just out of nowhere, we begin to see how you are moving and how you are assembling and how you are bringing together. Let me ask you a question while we're just kind of, you know, kind of a private moment, but let me ask you a question. How many are, are seeing that begin beginning to happen like right in your, right in your setting? right where you are, okay? There's one, there's two, there's three, there's more, okay? Put your hand up if that's really happening, okay? Good. It's important that we, we see that so that we're not just like those children of Israel and just kind of just wandering around. God has a will, plan, and a purpose for your life. And it's important that we have that mindset. Lord God, we just pray that thought will be sown into every heart here and that this church will turn this world upside down that this church will affect and touch and bless. Because you told Abraham, and you all the families of the earth will be blessed. I believe that every family in West Milford and Jefferson Township and Oak Ridge, I believe that every family could be blessed by somebody in this church family here. Everybody in Sussex County and everybody in Morris County and everybody in Passaic County could be blessed eventually by somebody who's part of this little work that you're doing right here. So we want to be, Lord God, what you're calling us to be. We thank you that you changed our life from something that is just going nowhere and has no significance to something that has destiny, something that has eternal purpose and something that will eternally matter. Thank you, Lord God, for things that you're doing now. You are using so many of the people in part of our, as part of this congregation. It blesses me so much to see how you're working. So Lord, we just pray that we will be Joshua's. We will have that attitude. We will have that kind of an attitude that you call us out of the world to call us into the kingdom to be able to serve you and accomplish your purpose and plan. So thank you for doing that. We pray this now and thank you for what you are accomplishing in Jesus' name and for his sake. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.